0: Peace to you. It is a privilege for me to be your preacher this morning. Uh, like many of you, I, I am realizing more and more that we are living in a very credential conscious society. In fact, a very credential conscious society. We all know people with the right credentials are able to go certain places and people who are lacking those credentials aren't. I was reminded of that uh, this fall when I toured with uh, a group that left second and went uh, on a Holy Land tour in the fall. Uh, I learned that the uh, credentials are very important. Uh, we were warned by our group that uh, when encountered by the uh, customs agents, not to volunteer any information, Certainly, don't try to be cute, because they they take their job very seriously. And once we arrived in Tel Aviv, and uh, I uh, saw the stern look on this woman who was uh, staring down at me from her customs booth, I knew this was no time to be cute. We've all at times had those occasions where uh, our, our, our credentials were called into question. I saw it this week as I stood in line at Cecil's. Woman in front of me was trying to buy some groceries and to pay for it with a check. But she didn't have her driver's license. And I witnessed this long conversation between this woman and the store manager about her credentials. And here I was with my one measly bag of cough drops trapped (laughs) because of her lack of credentials. I was so frustrated I bought her groceries for her. I think you get the idea. This morning, in the passage that we're going to look at, we are going to see where the Apostle Paul zeroes in on this issue of our credentials, our spiritual credentials. And he's going to show us what's important and what's not in the kingdom of God. First Corinthians chapter one verses 26 through 31. That's our text. Before we read it, Let's pray and ask God to bless the ministry of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning spiritually hungry, needing to be fed. We come to you with hands, with with hearts and minds that are distracted, with hearts that are cold toward you. We come with souls that feel so shallow. And so we ask you, loving Father, to speak life into us to give us a, a fresh glimpse of your greatness and glory. Renew our minds and our hearts and our souls with hope and courage. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Let's turn to God's word as we continue our series in First Corinthians. Again, our text for today, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Hear the word of God. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. All men are like grass, in all of their glory, is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's begin this morning by setting this passage in its larger context. You remember last week we looked at this very intriguing phrase, what Paul calls the foolishness of God. And that is this moment when God looked down upon these sinful people who He created, these people who were in outright rebellion against Him and f- who were uh, shaking their fist in willful defiance toward Him, and God looks down at these people, and instead of His heart being filled with anger and uh, wrath, His heart is filled with compassion and a never ending love. In fact, a love that goes so deep and reached so far that He was willing to sacrifice His one and only Son. And then on Jesus Christ, to place all of your sinfulness and the punishment that you deserve, to place that on His perfect Son so that you could be forgiven, so that you could go free, so that you would never again face condemnation from God. This is the glory of the gospel, and it was accomplished by the power of God through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And friend, I don't know about you, but when I uh, try to look at this great gift of salvation logically, it all sort of breaks down. Because I know that I have not contributed anything at all to this salvation. In fact, it, it defies all human comprehension. Taking it a step farther, it looks like foolishness. That God would sacrifice his one and only son for me and for you, when you didn't deserve it and you did nothing to earn it. And so last week we looked at this amazing verse, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And what I want us to see this morning is that not, not only does the message of the cross defy all human logic, but I also want us to see that the people to whom this message is given, that too defies all human logic. Three amazing truths that I want to pull from the text today. And here's the first one, comes from verse 26. First, I want us to see God's creative recruiting. Verse 26, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. And here the apostle Paul is speaking to the believers in Corinth. And as he goes through the church role in his mind, Certain names that come to his mind. This is what he says. He says, as I look at you all there in Corinth, you're not a very impressive group, not many wise, not many influential, certainly not many of noble birth. And some of you would read that and say, see, that just proves the apostle Paul was not a southerner. A southerner would never say something that brash. And <laughs> You may argue that Paul's lacking a little tact here. He's certainly not uh, building these people up too much. But what I want us to see is that what the apostle Paul is doing he's building a case. He wants these Corinthian believers to grasp who they have become as a result of the good work of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, he must first take take them back to their starting place, to their humble beginnings, and here's why that's important because the Apostle Paul uh, wants them to remember what they were when God called them, and that they had uh, very uh, minimal credentials. They had nothing. uh, It had nothing to do with any human accomplishments, and it had nothing to do with any ability that they possessed. In fact, quite the opposite. This past summer, uh, I went to my 20th year high school reunion. Interesting. I had missed my 10 year and my 15 year, so with some urging from my wife Tracy, we went. And I had really not seen uh, most of those folks from my graduating class in 20 years. And uh, you should also know that when I graduated from high school, I was a cocky, rebellious, yes. Yes. You sweet ladies. It gets worse. It gets worse. Let me start with the list again. Cocky, rebellious, pot smoking, binge drinking, loud mouth, high school senior. And when I went away to college in 1981, I was converted. But not many of these people knew that. And so as I'm working the crowd and establishing some new relationships with some old friends, okay. Inevitably, the question gets asked, and of course, the question is, where do you live and what do you do? Well, I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm a Presbyterian minister. I'll tell you what the most common response was, no way. (laughs) In fact, there was a friend of mine, Corey Wallace. We had to go through this three times. No, Rocky, really. What do you do? I promise, I'm a Presbyterian minister. And this actually happened, he says, then quote me a verse of the Bible. (laughs) And so I quoted him, I quoted him the first verse that I learned as a Christian, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Behold, I am in Christ a new creation. The old things have gone away. Behold, all things have become new. For the rest of the night, he called me Rabbi Rock. Here's the thing, here's the thing. When God drew you to himself, it wasn't because you were worthy. It wasn't because I was worthy. It wasn't because he was impressed with you or captivated by your incredible potential. It certainly wasn't because you had anything to offer him, no. God extended salvation to you as an act of his unmerited grace. He did it for his own glory. So that when a watching world looks at you, they will be profoundly moved with a, a sense of awe and wonder at what God can do with the life that belongs to him. Think of what you were when you were what Paul says. And for some of you here this morning, as you look back on your life and where you started, maybe it seems to you that you're not getting very far. You still find yourself confessing the same old sins again and again and again. And you find yourself wrestling with those same doubts and those same fears. And as you look at the fruit of your life, it seems pretty bare to you, truth be known. And maybe as you look at all of that, you're, you're just about ready to give up. Or you're just about ready to call it quits. Because it doesn't seem like you're making much progress. And I know that's how some of you feel this morning. And I have a word of encouragement for you. Don't give up, because God is at work. In fact, he is at work in ways that you can't see and that you don't know. And if you think about it, really it's not so much about your efforts at all, is it? It's really more about his. And he has promised never to give up on you. Some of you know this great promise from Philippians 1.16, Being confident of this, Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I think here too about the failure, the failure of Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. You know, he he drew huge crowds and yet most of them drifted away. He would teach these glorious truths about the kingdom of God. And in response, we're told, uh, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he watched him leave. The religious leaders of the day, they hated him so much they crucified him. His best friends, the disciples, deserted him. His own family questioned him. The crowds taunted him and mocked him, and you think that on the cross, Jesus would be wondering, did my life matter at all? Is there any fruit? Was this all worth it? And then they, they laid him in a tomb, and the people who watched said, what a tragedy. What a sad ending to a life. But God was really busy behind the scenes. He was busy accomplishing his most important ministry to you, that of conquering sin in your life and even death itself. And my friend, I don't know how much you're struggling and, and as you look at this dynamic of, of whether or not God is at work in your life. I'll just tell you this morning, if God can do that, he can accomplish anything there is uh, that needs to be accomplished in your life. So don't you dare give up because he's at work. And so this is what Paul's challenge is to the Church of Corinth, to those who lacked wisdom, influence, and nobility. And I, I need to say what some of you may be thinking, that while uh, the Church of Corinth was, giving, was given these titles, those who lacked wisdom and influence and nobility, let's be honest, if the Apostle Paul was addressing this church, Second Presbyterian Church, I don't think he would come up with those particular qualities. If you haven't noted it yet, we're not short on bright, influential, and well-connected people, if you haven't noticed that. And so I want you to know in this next section that the Apostle Paul addresses that head-on, head-on. And he helps us to see what is ultimately important in the kingdom of God and what isn't. And so I want us to see not only God's creative recruiting, I want us to see in verses 27 and 28, God's curious reordering, and he does it. Verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And I want you to understand that Paul is not saying that wisdom or influence or a level of prestige, uh, those are not evil things that God calls all Christians to run from. Understand that, but understand this too, because there is a, a real danger, we could call it a virus, that very slowly creeps into our hearts, sometimes undetected. And here's how it happens as we stack one success on another success on another success and we begin to lose sight of God we lose sight of his work in our lives we lose sight of our dependence on him and we begin then we begin uh, living to bring glory to ourselves and we boast for sure but we boast now of our earning power and our good decision making and our thoughtful networking. And we forget all about God and his work in our lives. And some of you this morning, that's, ex- that's exactly where you are. You you've forgot about God's work in your life. You, you've forgotten about his activity for months. And some of you have forgotten about that for years. We know from later in this letter that there was this type of struggle going on in the church of Corinth. It was a struggle between the haves and the have-nots, a battle in the church of Corinth over credentials. And of course, if I've got them, I'm blessed. And if you don't, well, then you don't count. That's the way it works. But then an amazing thing happens. God steps in, and he reorders the way we do life. He turns everything upside down. And he says, I'm going to render importance to those things the world says are unimportant. I'm going to reorder things according to my economy. And so now the, the lowly and weak things, the despised and foolish things, the things that are not, I choose these very things to be great in my kingdom. And if you want to know what this looks like, you don't need to look any farther than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Because you see, when Jesus came, he reordered things according to the economy of heaven. And he said the most countercultural things that any human being has ever said. Things like if you want to be great, then be a servant. If you want to be first, then go last. If you want to save your life, lose it. If you want to be blessed, be meek and be humble. And people say then, as people say today, Jesus, you've got it backwards. This is the opposite of how the world tells us to live. Going a step farther, this is foolish. And so my fellow fools, maybe it's it's time for us to start living life according to the economy of heaven because here's the truth. Here's the truth. We can go after those things that the world offers us and we can do it with a vengeance, but at the end of the day, our hands will be empty and our hearts will be hollow. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so God, who has infinite wisdom and who is infinitely gracious and longs to protect us, to protect us from investing our lives in things that cannot satisfy and will not last, He says, don't go that way. But there's another reason that I think God has creatively reordered life in his kingdom. You see, he has has chosen the lowly and weak things, the despised and foolish things, those things that are not. Look at verse 29. So that no one may boast before him. In other words, God likes to get credit for the work he does. That's what it means. And there are examples of this all throughout the Bible. I'd like to uh, point out one this morning. If you turn in your Bibles over to your Old Testament, the book of Judges, if you're new to your Bible, it's toward the beginning of your Bible, Judges chapter 7. And we pick up the story here where uh, God has told a judge named Gideon that he wants him to go out and fight against the Midianites. And they were fierce rivals to Israel. And they were also very, very powerful. Uh, Judges chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Haran. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead." This is amazing. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Gideon was uh, terrified, and he's fixing to have a meltdown right here. Verse four, "'But the Lord said to Gideon, "'There are still too many men, And so God whittles it down all the way from 32,000 to 300. God wanted to make it very clear to everybody involved that if Israel was going to have victory over the Midianites, it would only come through his miraculous power. And so Gideon, he said, here's my plan. I'm going to whittle your numbers down to where it's impossible for you to win this battle without a display of of my might. We have trouble with that, don't we? Because we like to take credit for things that we do. Uh, Friday, I accompanied my little daughter, Hope, to school. And uh, daddies were asked to come with their daughters, uh, along with the materials, uh, to make a dinosaur which I did, and so we went there, and of course men, you know, were creative, and there were some very creative, uh, I shouldn't say men are competitive. That's probably the right word. Men are competitive, so we attempted creativity. And uh, there are all sorts of great designs going on, and for the most part, this is one of those times, and Dad, you understand this kind of thing, where you're doing all the work, and your daughter is sort of flitting around and just visiting with her friends. It was that kind of a morning. And we finally finished up with our little project. The teacher put our little dinosaur there on the display table, and she put a little name tag in front of the dinosaur, Hope Anthony. Now, it was interesting to me that on the name tag, it didn't say Hope, and her very creative dad, who, who really built this thing in the first place. Now, just Hope Anthony. And in just that moment, I was reminded how much I like to get credit for stuff that I do. Uh, Do you know anybody like that? And maybe it didn't bother me so much because it was probably the most pitiful-looking dinosaur in the entire crowd. (laughs) So, well, God says to Gideon, if I have to whittle down your numbers from 32,000 to 300 in order to ensure that I get credit for this victory, I'll do that. And God says, if I have to reorder things in my kingdom, So that the despised and weak things and the lowly and foolish things and the things that are not are given greater value so that no one will boast in themselves. He says, I'll do that. And let me say this as lovingly as I can. God is very intent on getting the glory in and through your life. And if there is a prideful streak, a prideful spirit in you that just loves to seek glory for yourself, God will not let that go unchecked. And many of you here this morning could testify that this is a painful lesson when God decides that it's time to break that spirit of pride, self-sufficiency and glory hoarding and where he humbles you. It's a wonderful quote from John Piper. God, it turns out, deliberately chose the foolish things of the world, the cross and the Corinthian believers, so that that he could remove forever from every human creature any possible grounds on their part of standing in the divine presence with something in their hands. There is, with God, a holy selfishness. And he doesn't take lightly anything or anyone robbing him of the glory that is due his name. And so we see God's creative recruiting. And we see God's curious rewarding. And then lastly, we see God's reordering. And then lastly, we see God's certain rewarding. Verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness holiness, and redemption. Paul says, think of what you were when you were called. You were not wise. You were not influential. You were not of noble birth. But now think of what you are, righteous, holy, redeemed, given the wisdom of God. Look at what you were, but don't stop there. Look at what you are now. Uh, My mind goes back to a time, I think I was seven or eight, where I went with my father to uh, get my first real fishing pole. Not the plastic ones that have a little cartoon on them, but the real thing. And I had been saving up my money for quite quite some time, and uh, I, I put it all in my pocket. I had a lot of change, even a few bills. And so off we went to Central Hardware and we're shopping around in the store and I found this beautiful uh, pole. Uh, It was a Zebco, you fishermen know what that means. It was dandy and I liked it. And I said, that's the one I want. And so I took the pole and we went to the cashier and there I emptied out all of my chains and my few bills and it looked like a lot of money to me. But then there was this horrifying question from this woman, is that all the money you have? She goes, you're $8 short. I was horrified. It looked like a ton of money to me. I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. It's a wonderful moment. My dad didn't always do this, but he did it this time. He, he reached into his wallet and he pulled out a $10 bill. He gave it to the lady and he looked at me and he gave me a little wink and I can remember exactly what he said. And he says, it's okay. I got you covered. It's okay. I got you covered. You see, this is what God has done for you. He looks down upon these people who he has created, people who because of their sinfulness and their depravity deserve only his wrath, people who have fallen so far short of his glory and greatness. And there's this wonderful moment where God utters the most beautiful words that this human race has ever heard, it's okay. I've got you covered. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Verse 30, it says, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Friends, to have the righteousness and holiness of Christ means that on the cross, Jesus took all of your sinfulness upon himself, and he exchanged that with his perfection and untainted goodness. And he says, it's okay, I've got you covered. And now when God sees you, he no longer sees the darkness of your sin. He no longer sees those scars that were there because of your rebellion, no more. When God sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ, the moral purity of his son. And I don't know how you see yourself, I don't know how you feel this morning, but you need to know that's what God thinks of you right now if you're in Christ. It's a glorious thing. And then Paul goes on to say, we have Christ's redemption. And this is the term referring to slavery, which had a rich history among the Jews and expressed their own deliverance as slaves from the bondage of Egypt. And here Paul is saying, you've been redeemed You've been freed from the bondage of sin and the need to live a life that would seek only glory for yourself. Think of what you were and look at what you are now. You've been given the wisdom of God, made righteous, made holy, redeemed. So Paul's built his case and then here's his conclusion in mind too. Look at verse 31. Therefore, and he quotes from Jeremiah 9, Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you truly understand this gift of God's grace in salvation, seeing that you contributed nothing to it and that you can do nothing to delude it, all you're left to be able to do is to look heavenward and praise God's glorious grace and goodness. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. If you work for a gift, if you work for a gift, it's no longer a gift. This is what Paul says, your salvation was the gift of God. And I know that there are some of you here this morning and you don't know Christ savingly. And I would urge you to reach out and to lay claim on the greatest gift that has ever been given to you. And I can promise you one thing, that you too will be filled with a sense of awe and wonder at what God can do with a life that is given to him. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, may we live our lives in a way that would bring all glory and honor to our King Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Father, we are constrained by these words you spoke to Jeremiah. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight. Holy Father, we give you glory, and with our lives and through our worship, We lift high our reigning King, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.